Part 1, Section 2 of The Origins of Christianity by Thomas Whitaker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Von Manen on the Pauline Literature. Part 1, The Acts of the Apostles. Section 2, Paul According to the Acts. Chapter 1, Paul According to Acts. In the canonical Acts, we find three Pauls. Paul as represented by Luke, the Paul of the Acts of Paul, and the Paul of the Itinerary. The Representation of Luke The inconsequences of Luke's account have already, in part, appeared from the analysis. His Paul is a Jew, and at the same time a Roman citizen by birth. He is of Tarsus, but was brought up from his youth at Jerusalem, he is a tent-maker, yet has the leisure to come forward and take a leading part in persecuting Christianity. That he was a teacher in Israel, and had learned a handicraft only in that capacity, Luke does not tell us. We are not told why he is called Saul as well as Paul. Why Barnabas alone, after his conversion, was not afraid of him chapter 9 verses 26 through 27 why he in particular should have incurred the hostility of the hellenists chapter 9 verse 29 so the account proceeds without clearness as to the precise causal connection till his last visit to jerusalem here he is well received by the brethren yet seems to be personally unknown to almost everyone in spite of his repeated visits and of his having been educated there though he behaves as a pious jew his appearance in the temple excites a furious riot we hear nothing more of any interest taken in him by those who had received him while he is represented as quite at one with the members of the christian community at jerusalem and while they apparently enjoy complete toleration the charge of the Jews that he is the enemy of his people and of its law is so constantly presupposed that at Rome, chapter 28, verse 17, he enters upon an apology in advance to those who have never heard of the accusation. Thus, beneath its well-ordered literary clothing, Luke's life of Paul reveals its unhistorical character in detail. It is full of signs and wonders, and the accounts of some of these are inconsistent, as, for example, that of Paul's conversion. In chapter 9, verse 7, the bystanders hear a voice, but see no man. In chapter 22, verse 9, they see the light, but hear not the voice. The story of the apostle's arrest at Jerusalem and of his imprisonment at Caesarea loses all its air of truth on analysis. To take one detail, Felix, who is said to have hoped for a bribe from Paul to set him free, might have known that he had no means. But in reality, Felix, Drusilla, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice owe their presence in Luke's narrative entirely to his acquaintance with the works of Josephus, on the strength of which he could judge himself safe 
in attributing to Felix accessibility to bribes. His weakness in chronology would betray this, if it were not otherwise evident. Festus, as may be inferred from combining the statements of Josephus, Antiquities, Book 20, Chapter 8, Paragraph 9, and of Tacitus, Annals, Book 14, Chapter 65, Book 13, Chapter 14, entered on his procuratorship in succession to Felix not later than 56. For Felix was saved from punishment by his brother Pallas, the court favorite, when the Jews brought complaints against him on his return. And Pallas, who died in 62, had already been removed from court by Nero in 56. Time then being allowed for Paul's journey to Rome, and for his two years preaching there, his martyrdom, presupposed by Luke, would have to be placed in 59. This, however, is inconsistent with the tradition he follows, which places it near the time of the fire at Rome in 64. Thus, Luke's data, contradictory as they show themselves, oblige us to seek some other ground than that of authentic record for their actual combination in his narrative. As has been made plain, he did not aim at writing history in our sense. The accounts of Paul that were in his hands had to be modified for edification. The chief document on which he worked, manipulating it in his Catholic sense, was the Acts of Paul. To this we must turn for further light, so far as the distinctive character of Paul set forth in it can still be determined. The Acts of Paul Here the Apostle presents himself as a younger contemporary of the first disciples, not as a member of their circle. In a little time, these are only represented by an occasional survivor, like Manasson. Chapter 21, verse 16. Christianity has spread abroad. Apollos of Alexandria has already preached at Ephesus the things concerning Jesus. Chapter 28, verse 25. Paul is a citizen of Tarsus, and in the beginning attached to Judaism either by birth or as a proselyte. The writer does not say which. He is a tent-maker by occupation. Chapter 18, verse 3. At first hostile to the new sect, he is afterwards converted by a vision of Jesus, and is sent to the heathen directly by the Lord. He is immediately filled with the Holy Ghost, chapter 9, verse 17, and remains always under its guidance. He makes all plans in accordance with the inspirations and visions granted him. He has the power of imparting the Spirit to others by laying on of hands. His possession is the mark of his converts. He works not among the Jews, but among the nations. To their joy he is their apostle. Chapter 13, verses 47 and 48. The older disciples of Jesus can receive more accurate instruction from him and his disciples as, for example, Apollos from Aquila and Priscilla, chapter 18, verse 26. 
it is he and those of his direction who are first called Christians at Antioch. Chapter 11, verse 26. With the disciples of the older direction, he sometimes comes into hostile contact. Elymas, the son of Jesus, tries to turn away the hearers of Paul from the faith. Chapter 13, verse 8. The movement against him at Jerusalem begins with the believers zealous of the law. Chapter 21, verse 20. Originally it was, perhaps, carried forward by them and not by the Jews, on whose broad shoulders Luke seeks to discharge the responsibility. It may have been from them also that the brethren, whom Paul had succeeded in winning to his doctrine, rescued him and placed him in safety at Caesarea. But it is no longer possible to make out how often disciples of the old type, sons of Jesus, are hidden behind the mask of Luke's Jews, hostile to Paul and his preaching. The new doctrine which Paul preaches is the fruit of a revelation granted to him in visions. It is distinguished from that of the old disciples by seeing in Jesus not so much the Messiah promised to Israel as the Son of God. Chapter 9, verse 20. He is still called the Christ, or simply Christ, now become a proper name, but is thought of under that name as a supernatural being. Christ, or the Son of God, is one with the Jesus manifested for a short time on earth and now living in heaven. Precisely how Paul conceived of this unity of Christ and Jesus as coming to be, we are not told. The problem of Christology was left for the future. Jesus himself, in the meantime, recedes into the background. The essential thing is to believe in Christ and to persevere in the faith. Chapter 14, verse 22. In him there is given a new revelation of God, the hitherto unknown. Jews and heathens, also the mere sons of Jesus, stand outside and dwell in darkness, are in the power of Satan. Chapter 26, verse 18. Sons of the devil. Chapter 13, verse 10. But can now come to a knowledge of light, of the highest God, and of his true being. For the new revelation is for all men everywhere. Chapter 17, verse 30. The law is done away with. There is forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. Faith comes by grace. Grace is communicated by the instrumentality of the chosen vessel. Chapter 9, verse 15. On whose preaching as many as are ordained to eternal life believe. Chapter 13, verse 48. This presentation of Paul, too, in spite of its greater verisimilitude, is one that cannot be held for historical as a whole. The apostle is not quite a man of flesh and blood, but as much of the hero of romance, the idealized personality. Many of the stories about him bear an obviously legendary character, of the same kind, 
though not so strongly colored as that of the later apocryphal lives of saints then the content of his doctrine offers a difficulty can the development of speculation on the unity of jesus with a supernatural being a christ the son of god have gone so far at a time no later than that even here assigned to paul there is a paradox that a jew or a greek proselyte to judaism who has not been a follower of the new way but a persecutor of its adherents should no sooner see his error than he comes forth as a reformer of their ideas preaching a system which whatever else may be thought of it bears witness to a deep religious life and long and serious reflection the paul of this narrative is among the first preachers of christianity outside of palestine yet in every country where he arrives in syria in asia minor in greece in italy he meets with disciples and even brethren for this stage to be reached and for the new doctrine to supervene more time seems necessary than is allowed when he is supposed to be a contemporary of the earliest disciples even if a younger contemporary an actual paul may have given the starting point for the development and some facts relating to him may have been preserved but he was not himself the creator of the pauline gospel of grace the spiritual father of the christians of antioch such a union of incompatibles as the hero of the acts of paul can never have lived and worked in this shape he may be conceived as the glorified figurehead of a party which attaches its ideas to him in order to commend them in his name a figure drawn from life he is not are we in a position to discover any actuality at all behind this semblance the itinerary to this question the diary of a fellow traveller of the apostle gives some answer but unfortunately not a very circumstantial one for it only relates the events of a single journey the real paul we may infer was a travelling preacher he was a younger contemporary of the other apostles and his views did not differ materially from theirs to judge from the use of the jewish calendar in the diary chapter twenty verse six chapter twenty seven verse nine a use which the hero of the acts of paul would probably not have made his circle had not yet broken with judaism we may conjecture that he was originally a tent-maker of tarsus a jew or a proselyte to judaism that having at first persecuted the disciples or sons of jesus he was gained for their cause and devoted himself heart and soul to propagating it that he was one of the first to make their views known outside of palestine among jews and heathens and that this intercourse with the people of various lands detached him from the law we may perhaps go a step further and try to fill in the outline from the missionary journeys and experiences attributed to him in the acts of paul 
perhaps we are justified in concluding that he seldom or never came in contact with the disciples in Palestine, that he remained practically unknown to the brethren at Jerusalem, that on his arrival there at last he nearly fell a victim to his real or imagined want of respect for the temple. All this, however, is uncertain. We must guard against taking for granted the truth of whatever in the Acts of Paul is not manifestly fictitious. At the same time, the diary itself, or rather the fragmentary portion of it which can still be detected beneath the double redaction, presents nothing whatever that is untrustworthy. For regarding the Paul of the itinerary as a fictitious personage, there is no single reason. That a real person should in the course of years be transformed into a hero of romance is a perfectly familiar historical phenomenon. Conclusion Thus, viewing the Acts of the Apostles for the present without reference to the Epistles, we find that only the oldest of the three representations of Paul, which they contain, bring us near the historical reality. Here he presents himself as one disciple along with others. There is no question as yet of Christians or of a break with Judaism. The days of the Holy Spirit have not yet dawned. No one knows that spirit or fancies himself led by it. Whatever else they may be, the disciples, both in their own estimation and in the judgment of others, are Jews, and remain so, either by birth or by having become proselytes. They simply form a direction, a sect among the Jews, not apart from them. The center of their distinctive convictions is Jesus, whose sons or disciples they esteem themselves to be, and in whom they recognize the Messiah promised to their forefathers. To remind one another of the things concerning Jesus, and to declare them to the rest of the world, that is what distinguishes them from the other Jews, and is with them the motive to a pure life and mutual love. To this band of brothers, Paul joins himself, in the service of their ideas, he travels through various lands with varying success. We do not find either that he wrote letters of any importance, or that any divergence about belief or conduct arose between him and the other disciples. The late writer, whom we call Luke, knows indeed of discords that have arisen, but it is significant that in the prediction of them which he puts into the mouth of the apostle chapter 20 verses 29 through 30 he makes them arise after his departure a generation perhaps more having passed by a tendency manifests itself outside of palestine particularly at antioch in syria to break loose from judaism this would be the natural consequence of the accession of heathen proselytes and of intercourse with the Greco-Roman world at large. Accordingly, a new direction appears. The gospel of the Son of God, of grace, of faith, 
is born. The knowledge that Jesus is no other than the Son of God, the Christ, is ascribed to a special revelation, to a communication of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, from a sect of Jews, have become Christians. Those who follow this direction connect it with the name of Paul. Having made him their hero, they proceed to write his life. Yet they can take over almost nothing from that life as it really was, because a grander image of the apostle is before their eyes. Besides, Paulinism, though it has to be attributed to Paul, is really new, and did not belong to the man himself. Hence, the indistinctness in the image of this Paul, according to the Paulinists. We have, in this indistinctness, one evidence that Paulinism was born after Paul's time. That it immediately won approval, we can see, but also that it provoked strong opposition among the old disciples. It is remarkable enough that there is absolutely no hint of any letters written by this Pauline Paul. Years pass by. The strife between the old and the new, in the judgment of influential men, has lost its interest. Peter, the hero of the disciples, as Paul was of the Christians, has been made the subject of Acts on the model of the Acts of Paul. Finally, Luke girds himself up to the task of complete reconciliation, brings the two lives together, and modifies the traditional features of each apostle into approximation to those of his colleague. He is probably acquainted with Pauline epistles, but he does not name them, and he makes sparing use of them. His Paul bears a character other than that of the epistles, and of those acts which he diligently used as the basis of his own narrative. Through this process of adaptation, Paul, next to Peter, can become the founder of the Catholic Church. Thus, for those who acquiesce in the composite image presented in the Acts of the Apostles, adolescent Christianity has lost the true sense of its development. What it is, or ought to be now, that it has always been. In essentials, unalterable, one and the same faith for all right-thinking confessors, and especially for the men of name, after whom parties have wrongly called themselves. The sense of development having been recovered, two views founded on the two ideal representations of Paul must be dismissed as untenable. The old Catholic view corresponds to the imaginary portrait painted by Luke, the view of the Tübingen school to the only less imaginary one of the Acts of Paul. No assured reality is left but the Paul of the itinerary. There was, in historical fact, no quarrel between Peter and Paul, but only between the Petrine and Pauline partisans who arose after them. On the other hand, neither apostle taught the principles of Gentile Christianity. Both alike taught simply those of the disciples or sons of Jesus. The apple of discord thrown into the world by Paulinism, 
was the result of an advance made after the death of the apostle. Or is there some flaw in the argument? Do the epistles forbid us to reject the portrait in the Acts of Paul, along with that of Luke, as unhistorical? The answer to this question must be sought in an investigation of the Pauline epistles. End of Part 1, Section 2